2: Com. any disease.
3: I'm Amy, that's Lisa, and we're
4: just two girls that want to have a conversation with you. Dear 16-year-old Andrea. Hey, gorgeous. Dear younger Lauren. Each episode is stories from people. I
5: would deprive myself, weigh myself obsessively. Because I was eating healthy, I couldn't understand that I had a problem
3: with food. Losing my period scared me the most. My story starts when I was around seven. That's when I started to hate my body. Body image is like our inner picture of our outer self.
6: Healthy behaviors play a much bigger role in our health than the actual number on the scales.
3: Internal dialogue can be so powerful and often it's super negative and critical in a way that we wouldn't talk to other people that we care about.
4: When you start to share your story, that gives other people the courage to share theirs. I know you would be proud now
3: of how far you have come in your relationship to food, exercise, and to yourself.
5: I felt freedom. I've gained relationships. I've found my true sense of self-worth.
4: There's one thing I need you to take away from this. You're going to be okay. Life without disordered eating outweighs everything. You're listening to episode four of Outweigh. In this series, we will be
5: discussing eating disorders. People who have struggled with eating disorders or disordered eating will be sharing their story in detail. So please be advised that this content may not be for everybody right now, especially if you're currently in the throes of recovery. Our goal is to make sure that you get the best help necessary for you or a loved one. This podcast should not replace therapy or treatment. To get help, support, or more resources, head to nationaleatingdisorders.org.
4: Okay, so here we are with episode four. This is our final episode of this series, and... Abby, why don't you go ahead and say hi? Hello. Hi. This this is Abby. I'm Amy, and Lisa's here. If you're just now finding this series for some reason, I would encourage you to go back to the beginning. There's four episodes, and I guess they can be listened to out of order, but just know that there's episodes before this one. Abby was someone that we brought in to help. She answers the phones on The Bobby Bone Show, and so I was like, hey, would you be looking for some extra work because... Lisa and I are putting together this series and I just really need to make sure I've got someone that is monitoring if everything's being recorded correctly and saving the files and getting all the experts on and the phones, like there's a lot to do. And so Abby was like, sure, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that you would even really be dialed into what we were saying or if you'd be paying attention. And then we're about to wrap everything and we were just having lunch. And Abby just sat down and was like, wow, wow. Well, you you I say just, you say what you said. I
7: just said everything. I let everything out. <laughs> no, I was just saying I can I could relate to almost everything you were saying. Starting with you know like diet and how I do get guilty when I because I have my set foods you know that I eat that are healthy. I'm I'm super healthy eater, and so if I stray off of that, I feel guilty and it stresses me out. You know that I'm I'm not on track. Also, as far as exercise, I mean, I I still struggle with it, but I am obsessed with exercising and being active and always moving. And so I just realized how much that
4: really is a big part of my life and that it's maybe an issue, you know, that really opened my eyes. To me, Abby opening up and sharing that with Lisa and myself was another good reminder of we really don't ever know what people's internal dialogue is with themselves or what the struggle is. Because again, I've worked alongside Abby. I see her every morning and this has just never come up, and I would never put her in that box. Some people might not put me in that box, but here I am, and I was in there. And so, Abby, thank you for opening <laughs> up and sharing that. And so that way, coming on now, yeah, yeah. And thank you for hopping in. Like I literally said, okay, we'll come <laughs> in. We're gonna we're gonna tape the final episode, and I think your you sharing that is relatable because we maybe have had some people that like you have been listening to the whole thing and then being like, oh man that wait i do that and i do that and i do that and maybe not really knowing that mm-hmm. there is freedom from that knowing that that's how you are like are you at a place where you're like okay well i just thought this is how life is and i would just keep living this way or do you think that you could find some freedom from it
7: i mean i've been like this for so long pretty much my whole life you know and I'm obviously not happy and I know there's there's problems with it and I know I can't continue this. It's just very, it's not healthy, you know, for my mind or, or anyway, you know, my social life, not going out with friends because I don't want to, you know, eat or drink too much. So um, I definitely know that something needs to be done. I can't just keep going on this path. Well, just
4: know that there is freedom and it it does take work. And I think for Less work than you think, though. Less work <laughs> than you think. But I don't want to mislead anybody thinking that it's just, you know, you've listened to this podcast and you're good to oh, go. For sure.
1: Because
4: that is definitely not the case. And The, the unlearning is kind of so liberating. I can, That's what I, be,
5: I mean by less work. Mm-hmm. Because when you learn that all the things that have been keeping you in control are actually keeping you in captivity. Yes. It's actually oh, you life-changing, can just, right?
4: Like, you can just... It's almost like I feel like that, oh.
5: You 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 realize that the control that you were looking for is found without the control techniques mm -hmm. because you're peaceful. But you have to be willing. And you have to— That's the one trait that I say you need because it will propel you forward and
4: forward and forward. And then having an understanding, too, of outer wisdom, which Mm -hmm. we've touched Mm -hmm. on before, and I think we should talk about again just to clarify— Because there's outer wisdom and then there's inner wisdom. So So I'm going to have Lisa Yeah, so this is just part of my philosophy and my technique of how I help people learn to listen to their
5: body. There's plenty of ways to do it. uh, But this is what I have found successful for people like me (laughs) that needed what I needed. So outer wisdom is just the knowledge of food, nutrition, cooking, and dietary needs in general. Inner wisdom is what your body specifically needs. So when we were born as babies or children or adolescents, even somewhere it gets a little murky there, we knew what we wanted, how much we wanted, and when we wanted it. We didn't question it, right? Like think about as early as being a baby. We cried when we were hungry, stopped when we were full. Didn't matter how delicious the piece of cake was, right? Like it was just
4: simple. Right. I feel like my 12-year-old daughter, Mm -hmm. I see that in my children. And even I've only, and I've had them for, we adopted them. I've had them for two years. And for that first year, I was majorly struggling. Like I was all kinds of a hot mess and people probably had no idea, but it was so hard. And I used to even look at them and be like, God, why can't, why can't I be like them? My daughter, when, if she's hungry, she eats. If she's not hungry, she doesn't eat. If she's full, she stops. And I just was so envious of that. I mean, when I'm with my niece who's six, you know, I'm like, want to go get ice cream? She's like, nah. I'm like,
5: what do you mean you don't want to get ice
7: cream? <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> are you a sick child? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So on, along those lines, was, you can keep going.
5: I just thought, yeah. yeah. It's, so I, children are amazing, but at some point it switches, right? And we fully switch gears and we're told that our bodies are unruly. If we allow our bodies to be in command, we think that we will end up blah, blah, blah. You fill in the blank there. Sick, unwell, fat, big, whatever, all these negative things words are that we've learned to view as negative. So getting to know your body, your inner wisdom is the part that's pushed down. And so while you were, you thought you were struggling with outer wisdom, Amy, we come, we came to realize that inner wisdom is the part that you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. I almost have too much outer wisdom. (laughs) Yes. But I think the example of you telling me that kale makes you sick is a great example of inner
4: wisdom because you used to eat a lot of kale, right? Oh my gosh. I ate kale. Like it was, I mean, because, why? Ka- because it was like the thing, it was, it was kale and we're supposed to eat kale and everybody was eating kale. And I didn't know my body had an aversion to it right. because I was just, I thought that's how I felt. And that's what I was doing. It wasn't until I eliminated kale for six weeks or so, mm-hmm. just because I was doing, I was eliminating stuff yep. to see how I felt. Yep. And I added kale back in and my stomach hurt so bad. I added other foods back in and it didn't change. I felt fine. But when I added the kale, I was like, well, this is interesting. And so now I don't eat
5: kale. Right, which you're, is- you're a confident eater to say no to kale because... Exactly. That. So when I say fork the noise, it's all about using outer and inner wisdom to help you figure out what to eat with flexibility, of course. When you take time, like you literally took time, you took six weeks to figure out what you like and were what your body likes, mm-hmm. you are no longer drowning in the noise of kale. So good for you. Eat kale, eat all the kale because you know that Amy knows that kale doesn't work for her. Mm -hmm. So the most powerful thing we can do is give the microphone back to our body. That doesn't mean that we ignore outer wisdom. So it's not, that doesn't mean that we ignore that fiber is good for digestion. That fat is good to make hormones and vitamins in the body or that carbohydrates are good for exercise. So I say fork the noise a lot of the times in my online courses, that's the name of them. But what it really means is inner and outer wisdom allow us to notice the noise and pivot away from it. So when, diet industry is saying kale so good for you, kale so good for you, that becomes noise because it's actually not good for you, Amy. Right. Right. So having the knowledge that you and taking the time to get to know what you need gives you the ability to literally just see that as noise and keep on eating spinach or arugula or whatever works for
4: your body. Okay. I'm going to throw another one at you because I feel like kale still falls in the category of nutritious food that is nourishing to the body. Whereas what if it were because Abby and I were talking about this when we were having lunch, mm-hmm. what if it were fried chicken? Mm-hmm. So my outer wisdom, the world, everything I know, my knowledge would tell me that fried mm-hmm. isn't going to be the best for my body. Mm-hmm. Just because that's what I hear all the time. Whether it's true or not, that's what's out there. That's that mm-hmm. wisdom. But if, I, if that was the only thing offered, like Abby and I are at a party and there's no grilled chicken, which is on our... Approved list or whatever, Mm -hmm. if we had one. And then that there was only the fried chicken. If I'm in a a good place with it all, then my inner wisdom would tell me if I'm hungry, I eat the fried chicken and I move on with my day. Mm -hmm. It is not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. That's your rational voice speaking, 100%. And I
5: think whether you eat that fried chicken just means you take a moment to consult with yourself. Does that chicken look good? Part of this process is learning what foods attract, track like we are. We are fried tra- chicken looks good to me. Fried chicken looks good to you, and you're hungry at the party. It seems to me it makes sense for you to eat the fried chicken.
4: Okay, right? Yeah. And move on. Well, with it. that's that seems like such a simple statement, but that's well, a lot for somebody to grasp. You're asking me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've but I've been doing. I've been working on it, and so I'm it's not, not saying not...
5: just eat fried chicken this one day and then you can never have it again for the rest of your life. When you give permission to eat a food, all the power is taken away. Exactly. And you might find that while you thought eight pieces of fried chicken is what you would eat because you just love fried chicken, <laughs> you might find that it all it is is three pieces that, are actually enough for you because you've turned off that guilt alarm in your head that says, this is a special food. I can't ever have this food. And you're listening to the feedback. You might end up with eight pieces too. So it's really important, like Abby and I were speaking about, to understand and neutralize foods and not see them as good or bad. Sure. Maybe the fact that it's fried makes it a little bit less nutritious, but that doesn't mean that it leads to illness, right? Or that it leads to weight gain. The fear around food is what gets in the way of our ability to listen
4: to our body, to overconsume what our body needs, to feel like it becomes a binge. Okay. And if fried chicken was a thing we were scared of, Mm -hmm. you may prescribe me and Abby Mm -hmm. to eat the fried chicken every day for seven days and see how we feel. And then... Okay, this what I am clarifying with you. So yeah. then, would my my inner wisdom, my mm-hmm. outer wisdom, my inner wisdom, would come together and be like, "I need a vegetable, right? <laughs> I need some fruit, <laughs> like I need some not fried food." Right. Like That's my body, body is telling me, for it.
5: right? It's okay. not, it's not even calling on any wisdom. It it'll happen because our bodies are incredibly wise and they need a variety of different nutrients. We're yes. not meant to eat one food, even if it was just kale, for every meal for seven days, right? Like it starts to ask for the things that we. That we need. Mm -hmm. And so if you are somebody that just feels like you cannot eat a food, sometimes the advice will be to give yourself radical permission to have it. Other times what I was saying to Abby is a little bit more of a softer approach that I use with clients that is can be equally effective, which is just neutralizing the foods that you think are bad and adding them to your existing plate of foods that you think are good so allowing yourself to have i'm just going to use, stick with the fried chicken example here is if your safe food is a salad maybe you're having fried chicken with that salad now and you're starting to see how they can go together and that you're also not giving them a lot of times when people eat foods that are bad they feel like they need to save their calories and so they go into the meal incredibly hungry only to end up eating a large amount of that food and then they they blame themselves for having no self-control when really the problem was the fact that they went in at zero. Mm -hmm. So we go in at zero, we're going to end at 10, meaning we're so, so, so full. But when we go into a meal at a four, we
4: end up at a six because we're better in tune with noticing our fullness and our satiety. Does that make sense? It does. And since Abby's still in here, another thing we were talking about when uh, we were eating lunch and this just came up. I feel like, thank you, Abby, for sharing so (laughs) much. She brought up a good point of how she was an athlete younger in life, and she was running all of the time because that was your sport. Right. And so it kept your body in a certain way, and as you get older and your life changes and you move and you get a career and you're no longer an athlete, things started to change. Mm
7: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I started to gain weight, and that right there just, it's not, I've always been thin. You know, I was a stick. Mm -hmm. I was a stick. I didn't have muscle or anything, but when I even feel the slightest amount of fat like I go into this I have to go to the gym more I have to start working out more I have to watch what I eat and it's just like you know in your head you know yeah and you know you're physically here next to me right now and you're you're pitching your
5: body showing (laughs) me no I know but it's it's indicative of of the behavior of the body pinching or the body checking things that we constantly do to say oh my gosh I need to do more or I need to eat less, you know, whatever that whatever that is. And when I hear this, I think of the thin ideal internalization. And it's this idea that a thin body is associated with positive outcomes, with being confident, with being healthy, with being happy. And the more exposed we are to the thin ideal, the more we're psychologically affected. Mm. Does that make sense? And so yeah. most of us do have a thin ideal internalization, which is why the reason of being healthy oftentimes ends up being a proxy, a guise for actually still controlling our weight. Mm, so when yeah. it, we think about the thin ideal, it usually underlies our behaviors. And so we're kind of peeling back the layers to how we got here. And the thin ideal internalization is a pretty pervasive feeling because it, it says you only belong, you are only worthy if you are that stick skinny person that you were in high school, which is just a fake thing, right? right. Like you are worthy as you are mm-hmm. Abby and Abby's of the world.
4: Yeah, I think I sent you a note, least the other day, I was feeling a certain way and you shot back some encouragement to me and you were like, you know what? I put on a pair of jeans and my love handles were hanging over and I kind of felt them, looked at them, checked them out and was like, you know what? But I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I really did. You know, and, and we talk about these
5: affirmations a lot. And mm-hmm. I think people, when they hear that, they think affirmations are just like made up things. But like, I genuinely know I'm awesome and I know that I'm not here. I used to think that my my worth here on this world was to be super thin and have the best body in the entire world and blah, 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 because I'm a registered dietitian and all that stuff. But I've really come to understand that my secret sauce comes from within. And when I feel shaken or, okay, like, what is, what are those things over, over my pants? It's like I could recognize that I've been subject to thin ideal internalization. And I can question that initial thought that pops into my head that says that's not right. Because the only thing not right about that is the fact that I'm spending time noticing that when I put a pair of pants on that hits into my skin, that skin would fall over.
4: Mm-hmm or that fat would, would come over, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think that quick, re, like you're able to quickly react to it and well, tell yourself. Yeah, that inner that,
5: critic, you know, that helps to kind of start to notice the mm-hmm. devil voice and the goddess mm-hmm. voice, which was in
4: episode one, if you missed that. Episode one or two. Episode one or two. Yeah. <gasps> we've been talking so much the last few days. I was about to reference Taylor Swift again just now, and I was like, <laughs> shoot. I in some some of the stuff we've recorded hasn't made the cut. Like we've been like, eh, we're not going to use that. And so I'm like, hmm, how many... It was our this podcast, uh, this series could be a drinking game. Like, yeah. how many times does Amy reference Chick Fil A or Taylor Swift? <laughs> take a shot. But uh, no, it whenever she was opening up about her gray area, her disordered eating, yeah. what was happening with her, where she was um, not eating and overworking out, and just felt like the struggle to that she was supposed to be this size and have that control and. Um, she would get praise for it. She was like, okay, this feels good. And, you know, now when those thoughts come back in, she shuts them down. She's like, not going there today. Shut it down. Like, nope, not mm-hmm. going there, brain. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, similar to what yeah. you do if you feel that and you look down and be like, okay, I'm awesome. This and is I, not what I it's I about. I observe my thoughts. I mean, that's, you know, really
5: what it's about is observing our our thoughts and detaching from them to recognize that we are not our thoughts.
4: Also, another thing was a post you put up, but you were trying on jeans. Mm -hmm. And I think we also, too, not only do we get attached to what size we were at what point Mm -hmm. in our life, and that's what we're supposed to be. Or like Abby was saying she was a runner so she was the small but Mm -hmm. as we evolve as people we're not always going to be the athletes and we need to be okay with that and you were trying on jeans and you really liked you put on whatever Mm -hmm. size you are Mm -hmm. and you like the jeans but they didn't really fit you like not even close and they're my normal size jeans right for me i'll just use me as an example that would throw me i'd be like well forget it i'm not getting these jeans because i'm not sizing up right but you were like you know what i sized up two sizes bought the jeans love them called it a day Yeah. And I mean, important to know that,
5: A, if you actually do gain weight from this process, that there are healthy coping mechanisms to have. But oftentimes sizing is just different. And so to allow an arbitrary situation, kind of like the scale, to affect your entire mood or to not get the pair of clothing that you like is silly. I had a bathing suit once and I have a post from it from like 2016 Same thing, pretty much. And I had to size up like three or four sizes in the bathing suit. And I remember sitting in the dressing room and being like, before I put this bathing suit on, I was really fine with my body. So the fact that I'm, you know, even questioning it for a second that I'm not fine means something's up with society, first of all. But maybe just get the size bathing suit that fits and get over it. Right. So wear clothing that fits. Don't go by the size. Sometimes it's inaccurate. And if your body is changing or fluctuating, give grace to the fact that you are here to do
4: so much more. Yeah. There really is And the things that you gain if you do gain weight. Yeah. The and relationships, the, the friendship, the, everything. Yeah. The community, the, community. Um, the fellowship, the, memories. the <laughs> memories. What's hard for people to, to grasp, though, is that there is this ideal weight that's put out there, this pressure to be this look or be this size. And we have to diversify, dissolve that, that, like get rid of it. Like, yes, look at the variety of people Mm -hmm. that are out there and be accepting of it all. And there's like this weight stigma and it's
5: awful. Right. And I think that like, that's why we're all so excited about Lizzo, like because Lizzo came out there and she's never like you could just it doesn't feel like she's ever doubted herself. She just comes out with real confidence. She's not leaning into body positivity or her body size because it's trendy. You can tell that she wastes zero time thinking about her body and all of it into her talent and her performance. And she's also just a great example of how health is not defined by BMI, meaning somebody who may classify as overweight or obese does not necessarily mean that they're unhealthy because there are plenty of people at healthy weights, so to speak. Um, on the BMI scale, that would not be able to rock a concert like Lizzo can. Like right. that takes some cardiovascular training. And that's what's so eye-opening about Lizzo in 2020, especially when we are unlearning everything that we've been told. Mm-hmm. We, we can celebrate this woman because of her body and because of her talent and because of all these things.
4: So our expert today, Dr. Joshua Woolrick. He's going to be on in a second talking about how, as a doctor, he's fighting weight stigma. And Lisa, I know you have a book over there. What's the book called? It's a great book. It's called Body Respect by Linda Bacon and Lucy Afremore. Yeah. And this is along the lines of like the Lizzo conversation and body size and shape and even in, in and the... the thin
5: ideal internalization that we've been talking about here is that we... As a result of the idea that only thin bodies can be healthy, we are not properly giving all bodies the proper medical care that they need. Mm -hmm. So in this book, for example, it just says that it's true that not everyone is at a weight optimal for their health, whereas both thinner and heavier people get joint pain. For instance, depending on the cause of the problem, joint pain may be exacerbated by weight in heavier people. However, given what we know about dieting, the last thing such people need is to pursue weight loss. Instead, they should be offered investigation that may lead to diagnosis as well as an appropriate support for pain management and increased mobility in the same way that thinner people with joint pain would expect their needs for investigation, pain management, and mobility issues to be taken seriously. So break that down. Meaning, if somebody has arthritis, that's a joint problem not caused by weight. But if a heavier person or somebody who falls on the BMI scale as a higher weight, as overweight or obese comes in and says, oh, my leg hurts. A doctor is more likely to say, okay, you just need to lose weight to make the pain go away. Whereas if a thinner body comes in, they do the proper investigation to find out what it is. I'm not saying that's all doctors, but part of the weight stigma, when we see bigger bodies, we assume that they're unhealthy just because they're bigger.
4: And that can often do a disservice to bigger bodies. mm -hmm. Okay. And we're going to get into that with Dr. Josh. So here is our chat with him. We are so excited
5: to have Dr. Joshua
4: Woolrich here with us all the way from the
5: UK, where he works as a surgical doctor at the NHS.
4: Hey, Josh, (laughs) you're all about fighting weight stigma, which is awesome. And if people want to find you on Instagram, at Dr. Joshua Woolrich. W O L R I C H. You will not be disappointed. Sorry, I just
6: I just laughed because of the way you said NHS. That was all.
5: Did I say it wrong? NHS <laughs> no, no, is no, very no, choppy. I've
6: just never had anyone say it slowly before. Oh. Such a common phrase here. You see, <laughs> NHS.
5: <laughs> well, we <laughs> are so excited to have you here. Thanks for your time. I know we've got quite the time difference going on here. I found you over Instagram. I have no idea how. I've started a few months ago. And it's always a treat because you question everything we've been told.
6: Yeah, that's the plan. Right. So, <laughs> Sometimes get in trouble for it, but it's more fun that way.
5: Of course. And that's what I love about you. You have more than passion. You have the confidence to speak for what you believe in without worrying about the haters, for lack of a better word. I feel like mm-hmm. you're one of those people that never says, oh, well, what will happen if I say this? You just say it. But it's with conviction and, most importantly, with evidence behind it.
6: Uh, well, to be fair, I do uh, hold back on quite a lot of stuff. You probably just don't see it. Um, but enough. uh But yeah, no, I, I agree. There's, uh, I think I'm less afraid to speak out about stuff than a lot of people are. I'm not entirely, entirely sure why. And I will probably get myself in trouble for it at some point. But I'd rather get myself in trouble for doing something like that than kind of just sit by and watch it all happen, really.
4: Well, Josh, we wanted to specifically have you on to talk about weight and how it does not equal health. And we'll just Mm. fire off some questions to you and then you can give us your answer. Yeah.
5: So, I mean, you're always talking about weight stigma and this is a brand new series. It's not a topic that we've spoken about before. So could you actually just define for everybody what weight stigma is?
6: It's, it's discrimination of someone uh, based on their size. Uh, and that can go it can go either way. It can be uh, due to someone having a, a higher body weight or due to someone having a lower body weight. But more typically, it tends to be the former. So it tends to be assumptions and discrimination because of somebody at a higher body weight, usually without any good basis behind it, but just purely because of their size.
5: And what are the dangers of weight stigma on our actual health. So I guess, you know, starting with the a bigger body which you're saying gets the most discriminated.
6: Mm. So this this was something that at one point obviously was new to me as well. It wasn't something I'd ever thought about. But it's uh, the, the more I looked into it, the more kind of concerned I was about just how much of an impact it does have. Not just uh, on the mental side of things, things uh, which would be the more uh, would would be the more obvious things to think about. Yeah, the 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 whole psychological impact of uh, people discriminating against you. But it's also the the physical side. So we know that people's physical health actually ends up worse off after they've been subject to discrimination for a period of time. It, it is quite all-encompassing, and it's quite concerning, especially when you look at the fact that it's it's often completely ignored. And so just how much of an impact it's having on someone's health is really, really hard to define, but we know that it's nothing but negative.
5: Right. So one of the things, I know I'm a registered dietitian, and one of the things that yeah. I've had to unlearn over the past few years, is that most people, most Americans, I could at least confidently say, think that higher weight means you will get disease. And therefore, Mm -hmm. it is your life's purpose, your duty to lose weight so that you don't have disease. So what would be a more correct way to talk about weight in a way that propels us to help people actually achieve better health.
6: So one of the things, uh, and I, I just wanted to clarify, that's the UK as well, by the way. It's not okay. <laughs> not just the US. But uh, w- one of the things that I'd kind of heard a bit more recently that that struck a chord with me that I thought was really interesting was uh, somebody kind of comparing it to age. So if you if you take somebody's age, as we get older, we're more at risk of certain things, right? We're uh, you know we're we're more at risk of of getting cancer as we get older. We're more at risk of getting arthritis as we get older. And And that's just a risk that we acknowledge. And we we put certain things in place to try and minimize that risk or to try and kind of pick up on on certain health conditions. Uh, So, for example, screening programs increase in frequency as we get older and things like that. And I found it really interesting thinking about weight in a similar way. So not not pretending that that there is no mm-hmm. potential health consequences from being at a higher body weight, just like there are at, at being at a, at a much lower body weight as well. But it's more the manner in which we talk about them and the manner in which we think about whether they're actually changeable or whether they're just something that we we need to be aware of and need to improve our healthcare around. And a lot of that is around whether or not deliberate weight loss is actually sustainable and whether or not the the process of deliberate dieting is actually overall positive or negative for our health. Um, and I'd argue it's the latter. I'd argue that for the majority of people, going on diets and deliberately restricting calories for the purpose of losing weight tends to end up as, an, uh, as a net negative effect on their health. And so... Instead of just treating somebody of a higher body weight and saying, Well, you're at risk of disease, you need to lose weight mm-hmm. it's more a case of looking and treating those people with compassion but also with knowledge of how just how unsuccessful deliberate weight loss is and therefore not stigmatizing but in fact looking at ways of supporting and helping, just like we would in, in healthcare with anything else. I just think we've we've completely started from the wrong angle when it comes to weight.
4: So, Josh, I saw something that you posted on Instagram. You put, I don't normally advocate burning books, but I think we should make an exception for ones written by medical doctors claiming to have discovered the perfect diet. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't re-gift them. And then in your caption, you put, Actu- accurate diet advice isn't sexy. It doesn't really sell books, despite being pretty straightforward. And you said, prioritize vegetables and fruit, prioritize complex carbohydrates, prioritize polyunsaturated fat, prioritize lean sources of meat, get plenty of fiber. And so mm-hmm. you want to expand on that just for a second? because I mean, I'm sure people like it's this weird, we're in this place of we want to tell people, okay, don't join this diet culture and don't be a part mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. world. But there may be someone genuinely listening. What if a, a patient is coming to you and they do need to lose Wait, like, is this how you would handle that?
5: The, the thing that flags in my mind, and I really want to hear your response, Joshua, is the, the yeah. what I'm learning, right, is like they need to lose weight. Okay. But what is the behavior that they need to change? Because weight loss is not a behavior, right? So mm-hmm. we've been mm-hmm. telling people to do something that's not a behavior. Mm. But how can we better communicate to get them to where they need to go, which is essentially, I think, Amy's question. Yes.
6: There are kind of two questions there. I'd go start with that second one. So, I firstly, I'd I'd just challenge the statement of somebody needs to lose weight. I'd I'd challenge that statement at the beginning, because I I think what people actually mean when they say that is people need to improve their health or people are wanting to improve their health, and the issue is that we put all of that down to weight, when actually there's a lot of evidence that that healthy behaviours play a much bigger role in our health than the actual number on the scales. Mm-hmm. And so when we've got this attitude from the, from the get-go of, you know, uh, well, this patient needs to lo- lose weight, how can I actually kind of approach this in a, in a more compassionate manner? I, th- I think actually we need to start reframing that conversation, going, okay, well, this patient's coming in, and my job as a doctor is to help them get healthier. So how can I actually advise them to do certain things that I know are guarantees for their health? And so, you know, when I'm when I work in the hospital at the moment, I don't actually I can't think of the last time I actually told a patient that they needed to lose weight because I don't actually think that that's particularly relevant or helpful advice to be giving people. Instead, it's those behaviours such as improving the frequency of exercise improving sleep improving their intake of of nutritious fruit and veg and and food in general like you talked about in one of my posts earlier having that kind of advice to people is not only obviously depending on on privilege and and ability to do so and not only relatively achievable but they're not damaging and they're not harmful If somebody attempts to exercise more frequently, the odds of that actually being harmful for them is very low. Whereas if you tell somebody they need to lose weight, not only if they actually end up doing so not only is that not guaranteed to improve their health but the potential for that actually leading to them uh, you know ending up with a disordered eating ending up with a worse body image all of that kind of stuff is very is very true and is very real and so just personally i would just challenge that that first statement of a patient comes needing to lose weight i would always ask well why what 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 do you mean by needs to lose weight does that make sense? Does yes, that
4: kind of... and it's the perfect example of how language matters.
5: Yes, and one of the things mm. that I've I've been so astounded to learn, which of course you know, is that weight stigma is an independent risk factor for disease. 100. percent And one of the things that I I think you say is that weight is. We're not saying okay, weight has nothing to do with your health. Just like age has nothing to do with you know getting risk of disease, but. What we've oversimplified, shrunk down, you know, boiled it down to is that weight equals disease, higher weight equals yeah. disease, whereas there's, mm. it's not, it's correlated, but it's not caused by. So what are the other factors that we can break down, like feeling mm. shameful mm. and having the stigma of how you're being perceived or having your doctor tell you that you're losing weight is actually backfiring, which is like, Oh, my God, I'm gosh, I'm terrified because doctors, one of the things that they don't have, again, this in the U.S., is time with their patients. So, oh, yeah,
6: same here. It's, it's, (laughs) It's tight. So all, being able to tell
5: them to eat, you know, polyunsaturated fatty acids, what's a polyunsaturated fatty acid telling him to eat what veg, <laughs> What veg, right? It's a lot easier to say, all you got to do is lose weight and your your hemoglobin A1C, your blood sugar, your marker for diabetes will just, you know, go, go down.
6: Easier, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't, but work. It doesn't work. So as you know, there's no point doing the easier thing if the outcome isn't going to be successful, you know, I'd, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like I don't talk to people about polyunsaturated fats. I talk to people about you know where they're getting their sources of fat from. So fish, olive oil. It doesn't have to be fancy. I, I, right. that, that's not my role either. I'm not a dietitian, right? Mm-hmm. So if I start going into the the actual kind of uh, fancy, in-depth details of nutrition, I'm start I'm stepping out of my bounds in the first place, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I said about burning books on diet written by doctors because they're just not helpful. We're not the experts in this stuff in regards to specific nutritional advice, and we need to stop pretending that we are. But there are some very Basic things that we can advise on, especially when we just stop blaming everything on weight.
5: So actually, this next conversation here is how does the way doctors have been educated about weight carry into the patient experience? And how do you fight against this in the work you do? I assume you're up against a lot every day.
6: Yeah, I mean, so I I remember uh, back at medical school, not being taught about weight stigma in any way, shape or form. So not, not being taught about the negative health effects of stigmatizing people for their weight, even though as far as I'm concerned, it's incredibly relevant in pretty much all specialties and all practices, be that out in the community or be that in the hospital. And so we get taught about the risk factors, but without any of the caution of, how the the manner in which we approach it or the way we talk about it can have from a negative side of things on the patient so i i don't think personally that that doctors necessarily mean badly when they're when they're saying these things i think that actually we're you know and i i'd say this from personal experience as well you know we, we think that it's the correct advice to be giving or the correct way to be speaking because without Without thinking about it in a slightly novel way to a way we haven't thought about it before, it makes sense to advise weight loss if you don't think about the success rate of all of it. We we have been taught an awful lot about how weight equals health. And I think we need to start unlearning some of it. And it, it does—I remember what you said. So it does—it does massively negatively affect the patient experience. Mm-hmm. Doctors and medical students have some of the highest rates of weight stigma when mm-hmm. they when they're polled and when they're kind of questioned about. Uh, whether or not they assume. So, for example, one way that weight stigma shows itself is by assuming that somebody who's over a certain body weight is lazy. Yeah, So it's a it's an assumption and it leads to all sorts of things. It leads to lower hiring rates of people of a larger size because employers think they're not going to do the job properly. It, it, it goes far and beyond the actual kind of health sphere specifically. Yeah. But looking at it in terms of the doctor's office, it means that There are other things that also come up. So doctors assume that somebody is going to be more lazy. Doctors assume that if they say they're doing something, they may not be. They assume that they're not eating fruit and veg, even though that's not necessarily true. Uh, You know, they assume that they're not exercising, although, again, that may not be true either. So there's a lot of assumptions that take place. And when you have such a short time for a consultation, those assumptions, unfortunately, End up sticking because you don't necessarily have the time to, answer, to to kind of check every single assumption, even though you should do. Um, so it does it, it massively negatively impacts the kind of advice that gets given and the kind of care that people receive. And on top of that, it also impacts people's willingness to come back. So in, unless that weight stigma is internalized, which uh, you know we, we can talk about a bit if you want, yeah. the actual impact on the patient who goes in for something unrelated to their weight and yet again gets told that they should lose weight Mm. means that they're not going to want to come back again. And it leads to lower um, seeking, lower rates of of care seeking by patients. And it, it just adds to that whole reduced care for people of a higher body size because they end up not going back to their doctor as quickly as they should do for other medical health problems that in itself is a real is a real real problem.
4: Just something you said triggered a memory in me where there's been times mm-hmm. in my life that I have avoided going to the doctor or the OBGYN or ever simply because I did not want to step on a scale and I was yeah. terrified to see what I weighed because I wasn't weighing myself at home. And I didn't want to, or maybe even if I was, I just didn't want their scale to be different than my scale at home and it be higher and then send me into some weird thing just because of the number I saw on the scale of the doctor. Like, and there's yeah. probably people listening that have had that same exact fear. And so do you have any thoughts on that for people?
6: Yeah. Well, so I get messages like that all the time on my Instagram. It, it is, it's is—it's quite heartbreaking, some of them, because people go into quite extensive detail about some of the harm that they've come to because they haven't gone soon enough for certain things and they, they just haven't wanted to go to the doctor. And uh, the, the difficulty is because doctors in general don't really have an understanding of this impact of not just stigma, but the impact psychologically that people's body image has it means that there's no real there's no real second thought you know there's a tick box on on some of the on some of the forms that's just you know well what's the patient's weight type it in tick box oh tell them to lose weight and it means that there's there's just no there's no thought process there that's the stuff that needs to change i get people and i'm assuming this is kind of the question you're asking as well i get people ask me well what can i do because i don't want to avoid my doctor because i have things that i need to get checked out but I can't bring myself to go because I know yet again there are going to be they're going to weigh me or they're going to tell me to lose weight or they're going to blame my my symptoms on my weight. And the thing that I tend to advise, not and, and again, not that I'm the necessarily the expert on this, but this just tends to be something that I feel would have prompted me to, to, to take more thought before I before I ever started to look into some of this stuff, is actually just having a conversation right at the beginning about again, if it's true, about disordered eating and just saying, look, I have quite harmful thoughts to me psychologically about my my body image and about my weight. The impact of dieting, attempted dieting in the past has led to me having quite disordered eating behaviors. And because of that, I really don't want to have discussions around my weight today. And I really feel uncomfortable being weighed because I feel like that would actually be quite detrimental to me psychologically. And so I'm I'm just wondering whether we could avoid that today. Oh, and having that okay. conversation, I I know, I know that. And so no one, no one's ever said that to me ever. No, and, and I hadn't been a doctor very long before I started looking into this kind of stuff. But I would still argue that for the majority of doctors, they will never have had anyone say that to them. And that would if somebody had said that to me, that would have, you know, doctors do have an element of compassion, compassion in them. That's the point. And that would have been something that really would have taken me aback and gone like, hang on a second. what, What, what is this here? Like that's that's quite a big deal and i know that that's probably also quite a big deal for people to say and for people to bring up the courage to say that kind of stuff but that kind of comes under the 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 whole element of advocating for yourself when other people can't and that would have brought up so many questions for me that i would have googled looked into had conversations with my colleagues about and for a doctor to after you've said that to them for a doctor to then go yeah i don't care get on the scale yeah. I think that's a that's a pretty good reason to find a different doctor. Yeah. Um <laughs> if you've actually said that to them and they still completely ignore you, whereas up until then it's more this learned behavior that mm-hmm. is that is just commonplace in in medical practice, whereas once you once you say that to them if they ignore you then then that's no longer you can't you can no longer blame that on learned behavior. That's then them not listening to the patient. And you don't want to be seeing a doctor that's not listening to you.
5: And I think that's like a really good point and I'm all about really trying to recognize that things aren't generalization. So not like, oh, all doctors suck or all Western doctors suck, you know, because they don't whatever. Mm-hmm. Your point there is that like anybody who went through the training to become a doctor is a compassionate, kind human being who cares about others more than they care about themselves. That being said, they're also very analytical and taught to find what is wrong, to find the diagnosis. So I think oftentimes mm-hmm. they come into the room kind of like on a scavenger hunt, right? Like looking for what the problem is and lose the compassion element because they're so driven to find the problem. But when the patient comes in and says, hey, I'm a patient, I'm a human, I have these feelings. I think that the patient actually has incredible power to bring them back to human and have themselves advocate to be heard better, louder, clearer.
6: Yeah. And that, that compassionate thing is really important because I've seen I've seen people being given advice around just take this piece of paper in and give it to the doctor and you know, it says on this piece of paper, you know, I refuse to be weighed. Would you would you give this advice to a thin person? And all of those things are valid questions, but yes. they start personally, they start you off on the wrong foot. Exactly. It, it's too, makes, it's offensive. It, it would no, I know mm-hmm. yeah, I know it's it would defense. make me feel like, you know, I, I'm I'm not really being asked my opinion. I'm not really here as a doctor, I'm just being used to get something at that point. And it, and it it's that compassion element. It's it's not forgetting that they are human, too. And they actually want to help. It just sometimes they go about it in the wrong way.
5: We're in the midst of a big change right now. I, I don't know if it's only happening in my tiny corner of the Internet, but I can't help but see how social media becomes the real world. And we are talking mm. about these things. So for women and men that are afraid of the doctor to recognize that I think we're in the middle of a change, so don't get so frustrated. If you find a doctor that doesn't hear you, then it's time to find another doctor that may better be able mm-hmm. to listen to to your needs.
6: Yeah, and I know not everyone can do that, but, but for people that can, I, I think that's quite a good plumb line to have. If you've had that conversation with them and they still ignore you, I think it's time to, <laughs> it's time to perhaps find somebody who's willing to listen to you, because otherwise... You know, if they're not listening to you on that, then and they don't have to agree with you, right? So it's not that you say this and they suddenly go, "Oh, you're right." Wait's got nothing to do with, you know, wait should never be mentioned in a consultation because that kind of stuff is going to take time. But it's if they listen to you and they understand the frustrations and the the concerns that you have, that's a start, and that's something that can trigger more thought from them. And and you may actually even end up preventing the same kind of behaviour with other patients.
4: Josh, I want to shift to a little bit of a different topic and another thing that I saw you post about. I would definitely just encourage people to check you out on Instagram because you do put up stuff that's very thought provoking and for me has been good to see. But this is a post from back in December where I'm assuming these are. Your words, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But you said, short-sighted idiots. If everyone exercised in an attempt to undo the food they ate, the population would die of starvation. We need food to stay alive and function. We need food for health. The use of grossly inaccurate exercise calorie labels to encourage the earning of food only serves to encourage eating disorder behaviors. It's so blanking stupid. It's unreal. Exercise is a celebration (laughs) of what you can do, not a punishment for what you ate.
6: Yeah, I think everything but that last sentence was mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I've heard that last sentence before. but Oh, well, you did highlight that.
4: You highlighted that part in yellow. So maybe you credited it somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but for me, I had never, uh, you know, those words, exercise is a celebration of what you can do, not a punishment for what you Mm. ate. And I think for a lot of us, just that mentality of having to relearn, I feel like it's just a part of life and it was very natural to be like, oh, well, I'm going to eat this. I better go work out. Or I ate that. I better yeah. go for a run. Or if I'm going to go to that dinner, I, I'm going to work out beforehand. Or worse, I can't eat that because
5: then I'd have to work out. Yeah. So it's like...
6: Yeah. The, or but, I haven't been to the gym today, so therefore I should change what I've eaten for dinner. Yeah. Things like that.
5: And, and Amy and I always, we have these conversations about food and movement, right? Like, they're the two things that we're meant to eat, we're meant to have relationships with. We need food to survive and we're inherently made to move. We're not changing our relationship to not eat or to not move, but how can we (laughs) shift the relationship for the positive so that Food is not earned, and that exercise movement is a celebration. Such an important mm. conversation to be having.
6: The reason I posted that in December is because I think there was some talk yeah. in the UK, at least, around the potential of changing the calorie labels on on food items to exercise labels. Instead of just having written on the packet how many calories was in a, a food item, it actually had written on the packet, you know, how many minutes of running it would take. And I just, for me, that was just so so short sighted. It was unbelievable. Like, who came up about with that? just how damaging of some government person and probably person. Some, well, yeah. but I mean, oh, seriously, <laughs>
4: whether it's implemented at a government level, I mean, there's still My- damaging stuff just on social media. Like when it's Halloween time and people are trick or treating, oh, yeah. all kinds yeah, of yeah. articles come out of like, if you eat a, you know, fun sized Kit Kat, if you do, you know 300 jumping jacks and 10 burpees you burned it off so like then they're i mean and they do mm-hmm. it for all oh, no, the it's candies. standard it's a yeah. standard
6: conversation isn't it
4: mm-hmm.
7: it's a, it,
6: it's it's rife and it, and the only reason that they even considered do it with the food labels is because of the fact that it's such a common thing for people to to talk about You've got to remember all these people that that make these decisions are are human too and they're all subject to the same damaging rhetoric that that just it's insidious it just happens and people don't think twice about it <laughs> um, and I just it, the, the frustration for me is that when you start treating exercise as just something to undo food, you know we we know that that food and activity are intrinsically linked. We know that. We know that you know if you're an elite athlete, you're you know having a having a nutritionist or a dietitian work with you and and you know prep your food and it, it's going to make you you know run faster or jump further. Like we we know that those two are intrinsically linked, but unless you're a professional athlete. Always linking the two becomes really harmful psychologically because it means that you are just spending your whole time worrying about whether you've earned something. And when you when you put something in that bracket, it leads to a feeling of guilt and shame, because if you eat and you don't think you've earned it, then you feel guilty straight away. Right. If you if you do something that you don't think you've earned, you feel shame that you've that you haven't earned it. or you So you've done the wrong thing. And it just it creates this moralistic attitude around food where it's, it's a bit like and it's on the same vein of when I talk about labeling foods good and bad, which I, I think is really, really unhealthy and unhelpful as well. It means that you you start thinking that you're a bad person if you've done the wrong thing. And it's all of these rules that we start instigating and and implementing on ourselves because we see other people doing it and we see people talking about it in that way. It's just, I mean, I can't really put into words how... Frustrating it is when I see it, and and how damaging I feel that it that it ends up being, and also ju- just how unfair it is to what exercise actually is, and what exercise can actually do, and how how good exercise can be, and how important exercise is for our health. It just ruins the whole flipping thing. It not just when ruins you, it, when but you it, make it about food.
5: It's, it becomes unsustainable. It's like the first week, the first, the second week of living that way, of of seeing your food as you know, okay, well, I'm going to the gym more, I'm being healthy. It starts as like this inner motivation. And then it fizzles because on the day that you can't get to the gym that day, now what? It's like, it starts on this, that builds the morality. I'm good because I'm good because I'm okay, because I'm okay, because, and then the day the cycle pivots, which it will, because life you're faced with yourself and a negative relationship to food and exercise. So we need to it means not
6: you be... don't give yourself flexibility either exactly. like you know exercise should be flexible there are going to be yes. certain weeks that you can exercise more there are going to be certain weeks that you can't there are going to be certain times in your life where something is going on and you get mo- and you get too busy to be able to actually have regular activity in your life and there are going to be weeks when you have loads of time to do it and if if everything has to be so rigid and so structured that flexibility is lost and it and it makes you feel really bad that you can't do it
4: quickly, just before we wrap, just being that you're a doctor that's on here. And I feel like that gives you some credibility. I know Lisa's touched on this too, but even when it comes to working out or burning off the calories, since we're on that topic, which I think we'll dig into it some mm. more later, but it's not even accurate. So can you touch on what, like we're getting these food labels? I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in the US it's like, okay, you just say mm. this, it's a hundred calories and 23 carbs and you know, this is what you need to do to burn it or track it or whatever. But all of our bodies are so different. Like I'm not breaking food down the way you're breaking food down.
6: No, no, no. There is. I mean, you know, you, you know, this more probably more than I do. But uh, the the actual amount of, of energy that we absorb from food is going to vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. It's going to vary based on how that food's prepared. It's going to vary on all sorts of things. Not only is the actual kind of measurement of of how much energy we burn when we exercise going to be so vastly different from person to person because of their size and how intense they do the activity and all sorts of things. But whether or not it's, it's relevant at all, or or how people then implement it when it comes to food is so off anyway. So you've just got two completely inaccurate things that you're putting (laughs) together. And then judging your entire well being and how good you feel that day and how proud you are of yourself. And you're judging all of it on something that is just nonsense. And it's it's a recipe for disaster, and there's no wonder that all of this fails time and time again, and no wonder that people hate the thought of cardio and hate the thought of exercise because it's just so frustrating, and no wonder people hate the, the the thought of having you know the wrong in quotes meal at the wrong in quotes time of day because then they've got to go and work out and figure out if was that correct and they've probably got to do more than it says on their watch because it didn't work last time and it's just it's a spiral of nonsense. It's and exhausting. so if we can start if if we can start just talking about exercise in terms of well, it's gonna improve your health. Forget food, forget calories for a second. Go and go and lift some weights and get stronger. It's a really, really cool achievement to be able to do a pull-up that you couldn't do. Like I know this; I could never do a pull-up, and now I can, and it's like one of the coolest feelings in the world. Like you know, that's got nothing to do with my food
5: or your or your and- self-worth. <laughs> it might build your no, self-esteem. No, exactly. But it, make- <laughs> but it makes you feel good and strong.
6: Yeah, forget my self-worth, but it, but it, you know, but it's a good, it's a good way of knowing that actually I have objectively become healthier because I have become stronger,
8: right?
6: It's got nothing to do with with anything that is so spurious as, oh, well, I've changed one point on the BMI scale. And now I'm in mm-hmm. a different bracket. And so I can stop now, like, I'm good. Exactly. Like, it, it, it's just, it just makes no sense.
5: Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think we learned so much. I think we we'll, we have a better ability to communicate with our doctors. And remember that we can And should continue to see our doctors, even if it comes with some fear, because they truly are compassionate people that want the best for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Josh, for coming on. Follow him at Dr. Joshua Walrich. And thanks for coming on. We're so happy we got to speak with you.
6: No, thank you for having me. It was lovely to chat.
4: So I'm glad we had Dr. Josh on because it's really not anything I had ever paid much attention to. It's important.
5: Yeah, I think as we begin to, you know, we wanted to go into this podcast kind of slow, but as we start to, it feels like an us issue. Like we feel we're we're the problem because we have this relationship to food. Then we start to realize that we all have this problem. And then we start to realize that it's a society problem. And then we realize that it goes beyond the food. Mm-hmm. That the desire to be thin and to be judgmental creates discrimination
4: in a sense. Yeah, we're not being better people by acting this way. Right and that our bodies are just unique and different and wonderfully made. And it makes me think of uh, Demi Lovato. I can't remember if this was her on Ellen or maybe Ashley Graham's podcast, Mm -hmm. but she was talking about how she just realized there was a point in her career where she was like, you know what, I don't have to be on stage in a leotard. Mm -hmm. Like, why was I doing that to myself? This Mm -hmm. is what I got from her. Was that that's not how she used naturally. Mm-hmm. So, for her to be in whatever outfit her management team or her team thought was appropriate for her to be out there as a pop star mm-hmm. in, required her to be at the gym three times a day. Or she thought that it did, right? Because we see Lizzo, somebody in a bigger body, rocking what she wants. True. But for her, for her she she's... didn't, that's what she felt right. and where, where she felt comfortable. Yes, she could get out there and do, but totally, for her, totally. she felt that pressure. And she's like, I was just tired of living that way. And, you know, even for her being in the public eye and having that pressure to look a certain way from her team, you know, she said for years, she didn't even have a birthday cake. Like she had a watermelon cake, a watermelon cake with fat free whipped cream. Mm-hmm. And now she has a new management. She's with Scooter Braun. And this last year was the first year that she's like, and Scooter doesn't want anything for me. She's like, so it's cool. It's finally to be with the team that just loves me for me and who I am. Mm-hmm. And I had a real cake. And I mean, it was. Amazing. because She had that freedom to eat the cake. And it stands for more. It stands for we hired you or we
5: signed with you, whatever the right word is, because of your talents. Mm -hmm. Not how you look. Yeah,
4: it's pretty incredible. But the pressure is real and it's out there for you may not be a pop star, but somewhere in your line of work, it may affect you with how you look. I know we're going to have two stories coming up from two girls, Caroline and Caitlin, and Caroline's going to touch on some of that in her story. Just Caitlin too, being in the public eye mm. and trying to feel like we... Ha- yeah, Caitlin, too, looking perfect yeah, and being exactly, a certain way. Exactly. So, you know, a setback can just ruin your day. Yeah. And we don't want any of y'all to feel uh, that way. And again, we're sharing these personal stories from people because, again, we want to reiterate over and over and over again that you are not alone. So right now we'll get into... First, a story from Caroline and then the letter to herself, and then a story from Caitlin and the letter to herself. Hey, Caroline Hobby here.
8: When I was in high school, I started dabbling around with bulimia a little bit. I would just like binge eat and then I would make myself throw up and I didn't do it all the time. I just would do it sometimes sometimes and it really had a hold on me i felt trapped by it i felt like i didn't know how to eat junk food i felt like junk food was the enemy i didn't know how to do anything in moderation so i would feel like i needed to eat really healthy and not eat very much at all and then i would binge eat and throw up and it was just a bad vicious cycle it wasn't regular enough to be something that i would have considered a full-time eating disorder but it definitely was frequent enough experience that it really was um, exhausting to live with that it was overwhelming and I also took some prescription diet pills and I would take those during the week and I would try to just work out a lot and not eat very many calories and eat very lean and work out hard and then I would like give myself a binge day and it just was terrible and I kind of got stuck in that cycle all of high school and early college because then you go to college and oh my gosh, you've got the cafeteria and people are, you know, staying up late and eating junk food and drinking beer and it's just, I it, I couldn't get a grip on it. And so I continued to struggle with diet pills and a little bit of bulimia here and there. But then I finally just was like, I am done with this. I cannot live like this anymore. And that's when I started going to therapy <laughs> and I started talking to a therapist about it and trying to get a hold of why I was doing this and what my fears were, why a number on a scale meant so much to me. And I think it all just got back to I wanted to be perfect. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. I want to be perfect. I wanted, I had this image in my head based on media, based on whatever I saw out there in the world that I thought was the standard I needed to keep up with. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to. To look perfect, be perfect. I wanted this perfect image. I wanted everyone to think I was perfect. And you can't keep that up. That comes crashing down. And you definitely can't keep it up up with an eating disorder. So, like on a day that I would have an eating disorder, I would take the diet pills during the week, work out, not eat very much, weigh myself every day, stay at a certain number, make sure I was there. And then I would binge on the day I decided that I was going to really have a day and I would eat anything I wanted. And then I would make myself throw up. And then the next day or the next few days, getting that number on the scale back down to where it needed to be. And it just was an obsession and a vicious cycle. And it uh, was awful. Like really, nothing was fun about it. Even though I was quote unquote skinny at times, oftentimes I was more bloated than skinny because it makes you bloated when you're eating like that and making yourself throw up. And, and also, I didn't feel good. I felt bad about myself and I wasn't happy. So it really wasn't worth it. My life struggling with an eating disorder that I kept undercover, I would say, was in bondage. And now that I am free from it and done the work to heal myself and have a happy relationship with food, I eat anything I want anytime I want it. I just don't overeat and I don't make anything the enemy. I would say my life is free now. I value health and I value feeling good over being skinny and looking good. That is my number one value now. That is what has changed. Letter to my younger self. Dear Caroline, I'm sorry that you got confused on what being worthy and beautiful really means. If I could change one thing, I would really want you to know that perfection is unattainable and health and loving your body and feeling active and alive and good about yourself within is really all that matters. I can clearly see that you were just looking to matter and that you just needed to be validated and you wanted to be important And you thought being perfect was the only way that you could be special and that people would think that you were good enough. And that's just a big fat lie. My younger self would be super proud that I took the lessons and the trials that I attempted when I was younger and I learned from them. I kept growing and now I've turned into a woman who has depth, who has understanding of my worth, who loves my little child who was just trying to be perfect because she thought that's what would make her special and matter and myself now would be very grateful that I have realized that I matter just for being who I am and for acknowledging that I'm a child of God and that I'm important just for showing up and living my life to the fullest as the person I was created to be. I love my little
3: self, you tried so hard, love you. My story is a story about seeking acceptance, belonging and ultimately worth. And for so long, I sought those things outside of myself, specifically trying to control and quote unquote, perfect how I looked. Around puberty, when my body started changing and growing up really, that's when the critical self-talk started. I wanted my legs thinner, nose straighter, skin tanner, and these things became my ultimate priority and dictator of how happy I was each day. If I felt like I looked good, I had a great day. If I didn't like what I perceived in the mirror, my mood and day was ruined. I wouldn't define my behaviors of working out and eating as a traditional eating disorder, but I know they were not healthy for me. I did not have a healthy relationship with food, exercise, or myself really. What I would eat and when I would work out were constant obsessive thoughts. I had a strict meal plan and workout schedule set by each Sunday night, which I learned from following never-ending online fitness and bikini challenges. And if something came up in my day that changed my plan, I would feel huge stress and immediately try to figure out a plan B to make sure I got my workout in or had a way of canceling out the unhealthy foods I would be eating at whatever event came up. I was on a hamster wheel completely controlling what I did with my time, my mood, and my ability to connect with people around me. And I was completely blind to how misaligned this was from what my heart really wanted, to live a rich life full of moments connecting with my friends, my family, feeling accepted, loved, and alive. Without being aware of it, the center of my life had become fixated on how I looked. It drove almost all of my decisions. It dictated my happiness. And it really wasn't until an unexpected surgery last year that forced me to slow down and stop the hamster wheel of overexercising and those never-ending bikini challenge food plans. That's when I realized what my life had become, and it wasn't what I wanted for myself at all. I'm still very much figuring out how to combat the negative thoughts when they come in, but the time I spent healing from surgery gifted me such a strong awareness of what I really want out of life and that my attempt to control my outer appearance was never really about food or to be fit or healthy, but a need for love and feeling valuable. And I know now the only way to get that is by giving it to myself with zero conditions. If I could tell my younger self one thing, it would be that all the love, acceptance, and worth you seek can only be fulfilled by you giving that to yourself and that this is your one life. There's no place to get to nobody to attain or achievement to make where it's all going to feel all right. This is it. You're living it right now and you're not going to want to waste it.
4: Okay. So another thing before we close out this series, it's hard to believe we're here at the end of episode four, but as we want to make sure it's clear on you ending the black and white food rules, mm-hmm which is hard. It, it's hard, but you can do it. And Lisa has. Yeah, I have a tools. course that.
5: Not sure if it will be out by the time this airs yet, but regardless, you're going to get early access to it for free just by listening because you're here to do the work and I want to help you do the work. So it's called Fork the Food Rules and it's going to help you assess what your food rules are. So like I was encouraging Abby to do personally is to get to know what foods she views as bad or which foods are scary or which foods cause guilt, I'm going to provide you with the same opportunity to get to know yours and a plan of action to start to neutralize them so that food just becomes food. Mm. So you can go to forkthenoise.com
4: forward slash rules and you will have access to that little course. Well, thank you for offering that to our Outweigh people. Yeah, Outway. Yeah, shout out, hashtag Outweigh. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun making this for you guys, and my daughter recently designed a shirt that says, Empowered Women Empower Women. Lisa's actually wearing the cropped hoodie. Um, I love it. Right now, we have three versions of it. I just can't help but Think of that when we do this. And I know that there might be men listening. So, you know, we just don't have this in a men's shirt, but I'm sure we could make one empowered men empower men. Men. (laughs) This is not to leave you out, but I just know that a majority of girls and a lot of our experts and all of our stories were from females. And just know that Lisa is someone that empowers me. And I'm thankful that she came on to help empower all of you. And I hope that you feel empowered after listening to this series and know that there is freedom. I mean, and I am empowered by you, Amy, because you see a problem and you step in to solve it. So. Well, I don't know about solve it, <laughs> but thank you, you for you make change in the world. I picked you the phone and I called you about this and I didn't know where it was going to go that December day. But here we are now and so thank you for coming alongside. Thank you for being uh, you. me for thank this you to our listeners. I could not do it without you and listeners, you're who we're doing it for. So thank you for listening. and if you happen to want an, an empowered women's shirt or pullover or v-neck or they've got oh, we even have kid ones, you can go to theshopforward.com forward slash women and proceeds are going to help single women with children that were affected by the tornadoes in Nashville and coronavirus most recently, just um, being able to support them and empower them until they can get back on their feet. And we're working through Home Street Home for that, which they're an amazing organization based out of Nashville. So just know that maybe you even grab one to wear and then wear that as a reminder that you are a strong woman and you can accomplish anything you put your mind to. and surround yourself with good people that help you do that. Right? Yep. You are more than what you weigh. Yes. You, yes, you are so much more than what you weigh. I think that's an important, that's what outweigh is about. That is what outweigh is about. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you everybody for listening. Don't forget about the special food rules. Forkthenoise.com forward slash food rules. Mm -hmm. And I'm at Radio Amy. And I'm at the Well Necessities. So we hope to connect with you on Instagram and thank you. Thank you for listening. Okay, now it is time for the additional ending. Uh if you've listened to the other three episodes, you know I've been coming on after the ending that Lisa and I did to say goodbye one last time, but with something coronavirus related, since things have really picked up since Lisa and I recorded. I just want to leave you with them, some encouragement given the times that we're in right now. So I decided to pull something up from Brenna's account, which she was one of our experts that came on. Her Instagram is at thewellful. Hopefully a lot of you are following her by now if you heard that episode, but maybe some of you, episode four is your first episode that you decided to listen to for Outweigh. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to episodes one two and three so that way you'll get the complete series and you can hear the different stories that were shared and the different experts that were on and we would so appreciate your feedback and y'all can send us dms lisa is at the well necessities i'm at radio amy my email for this podcast is four things with amy brown at gmail.com so i'd love to hear from you if y'all have any feedback we'll we'll be discussing if we're going to do another series again uh like season two of this. I think that it's been received well, but we just wanna make sure if we do another round of this that we do it right. So we want to hear from y'all. Okay, here is what I pulled from the Welfels Instagram, Brenna's, which I thought was some good encouragement and reminders for the current situation that we're in. Control around food and our bodies can be really appealing, especially right now when so many things are out of our control. Coupled with the strong diet culture message we've all received that dieting, restricting, losing weight means that things are better and more in control. Think about how often you see that narrative. Movie characters that are struggling and then they lose weight and suddenly they get promoted or fall in love. Or magazines circling an actress's stomach and saying they've let themselves go go where, Asked Brenna, or the constant talk of needing to get back on track with diets that made that track really hard to stay on in the first place. It makes sense that dieting can be coming up more right now since we link diets with control and like controlling the chaos which is what we're in, but a lot of the time that attempt for control comes with other things like increased food, body thoughts, distraction from the present, which can feel like a positive distraction and a distraction that keeps you from experiencing and being here now. It can also lead to increased anxiety, not actually giving that controlled diet culture promises, etc. So you're trying to control it, maybe with the diet type stuff, but really you're not Going to be able to control it because diets do that to us. They mess us up. So uh, I just thought that that was a great post that she put up and perfect for the time. Hopefully, somebody maybe needed to hear that in the moment. I know for me, I've been looking for other ways to feel in control while things are totally out of control. And I am thankful that I haven't leaned into old habits with food. Again, The reason why I wanted to do this series is I have such freedom in that. I have more time to focus on other things. I was even talking to my therapist about this. If I were to be obsessing with food, I wouldn't have time to get a lot of stuff done that I need to get done. And I feel so much more accomplished. My days feel pretty good right now. I I was at a place for a long time where my days ruled me. I didn't rule my days. And I feel like I'm going to emerge from this whole coronavirus situation a more structured person which I think is going to be my positive that came out of this because I needed that. And it's like pressing pause and giving myself that right now cuz it takes a minute to get in the groove, but because we're stuck at home, we're nowhere to go, I'm given all the time in the world to get in the groove of this schedule thing cuz I've resisted a schedule for a very 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 long time. But I've realized I've come at a point in my life where I do need that and I feel so much better. And now, and I've had the time at home to adjust, to figure out how do we do this? How do I learn how to be a person with a schedule? And I don't have events interrupting me or random curveballs thrown my way in my day because I'm at the office and something comes up. So that's been a blessing. And I, I was telling my therapist that if I was obsessed with food, Right now, or tracking my food, or worried about my food, or kind of like, I don't even know where in my day I would put that. I just don't have time for that. And it just feels so nice. Like, I love just being able to breathe. (laughs) Which, speaking of breathing, I'll leave y'all with that too. If you've had any moments where you need to just stop and breathe, I highly recommend a breathing exercise that we're doing at my house. And I've talked about this on the podcast a ton, but maybe you're just an outweigh listener and you don't know me at all, but my son's doing it. And I actually got this one out of a book that we're reading for him just because we adopted and he's got some trauma and there's just different ways that you need to approach things. And in this book, it talked about the breathing, which is just like the breathing that one of my best friends, Mary, is doing for her TMJ. So it really can be helpful for a lot of different things, <laughs> but you breathe in for four, you hold for seven and then out for eight. So it's the four, seven, eight. Breathe in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. And do that like five times, and you will feel better, at least I do. So there's a little tip for y'all. OK, uh, I kind of am rambling on because I can't believe that this is the end end of this series, outweigh the first four episodes. So again, don't really know where we're going to go from here, but we would love to hear from y'all. And we appreciate each of you that has joined us on this little journey uh, as we try to figure out how to break the stigma of people feeling shame uh, with their disordered eating or their eating disorder, because there is no shame and you are not alone. And there is this gray area and there's parts that people don't talk about. And we want to open that up. I want you to feel safe, and I want you to feel free. That's really just the gist of it. So thank you. If you want to keep listening to my podcast, I'll see you, I guess it's Saturday. Coming up Tuesday, I have a and a Q&A episode that I will load up. And then next Thursday on the Four Things episode, I'm going to have Lisa on to recap the Outway series. So make sure you download that episode as well. We'll go through kind of our thoughts and feelings now that Outweigh is out there in our stories and everybody's stories. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye.
0: prevent any disease.